Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm a managing director at B. B. Riley Financial. I'm also the author of the new ROI, Return on Individuals. Today's guest is building one of the fastest companies in the U.S., and he's here to tell us about how he's doing it. So I'm pleased to welcome Tyler Robertson, who's the chief executive officer of Diesel Laptops. Tyler, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be on here, and I look forward to some great conversation. Absolutely. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and Diesel Laptops, and then we'll jump in. Yeah, so Diesel Laptops, we're in the B2B business, and we help people with efficiency solutions to fix commercial trucks and off-highway equipment. So anything with the uh, word diesel in it is essentially the products that we're helping with. And I started my company seven years ago at my garage and dining room table, and today we have around 200 employees and do a little north of $50 million in revenue a year. So we're, we're still moving forward fast. Well, that's a great headline, but I want to dig into that headline. Okay, so let, let's start from the beginning. Uh, great background story. Started in your garage. Tell us about that. Yeah, I, I didn't even want to quit my job I was working for. I had a side hustle going on, and I thought I'd just do it for essentially beer money at the time. And it just kind of kept growing and growing. And, and one day, the uh, I was given an ultimatum and, and had to decide between staying on with my current company, getting a raise and doubling my bonus, or quitting and uh, trying to do this thing on my own. So at my wife's encouraging, I resigned from my job. I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old. My wife didn't work. She was a stay-at-home mom of our kids. And we rolled the dice. So it, in, in hindsight, I probably should have done it earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the time, it was obviously a very big decision in our lives. I want you to share with us the the mindset in that moment, right? A lot of us have gone through those moments of inflection where we have an opportunity, or at least we think we do, to hang our own shingle, so to speak, and do our own thing. And fear, uncertainty, everything kicks in. And you've got to have a certain, I'll call it entrepreneurial mindset to, to take that leap. What was it for you that got you to take that leap? Well, you're right. It is scary. And it's still scary being a CEO and of a growing company decisions you make. But especially at that time, I was the only paycheck that was coming in. And it was guaranteed to come in every other week when I got my salary from a company I worked for. And I think one of the really deciding factors was, is A, I had this side hustle. It was growing. It was doing okay. I, I, I knew the, the problem was that when you work for someone else, at any given point, it can go away. Your company can have financial problems. They can be bought. They can be sold. You can be fired. Who knows what happens? And because we had no debts, we had a side business going on. I, I was just really, I felt like I could de-risk myself at the end of the day is how I really looked at it by starting this business. And me and my wife both said, if it doesn't work out, we can always go work for somebody else again. We've, we've been there, done that. Let's give it a try while we still can. So I was a little bit later in the game when I pulled the trigger on that. I was in my mid-30s. So I know a lot of times people kind of get caught in their careers, but it really is never too late to go try something different. So what would you tell somebody if they came to you uh, and met with you for some advice, you know, a budding entrepreneur who's, who's standing on that precipice? What, what would you tell them in terms of why they should take that leap? So I've met with a couple other people that were in similar things. There, there's another great person I've met with, um, and he had a similar thing. He, he kind of quit his job, and he had this thing he was doing, but he wasn't putting 100% into it. And what I've noticed, it's really hard to go grow something until you put that 100% effort and focus on it. But you also got to make sure you're not putting yourself in a bad situation. So you got to walk that line between rolling the dice on something, but also having enough cash and enough you know, confidence you can pay the bills and have a roof over your head and food on the table. 
So you got to find where that line is and eventually you got to take the plunge if you want to go. And for me, even today at our company, we spend millions of dollars developing products we don't know are going to work or not. But for me, it's always been, I'd rather find out and know than not even try at all. So a lot of entrepreneurship is exactly that mentality. Yeah. And it, it definitely takes a certain wiring for sure. So you started in your garage. Now you built it to a team of 200. Talk about how you started to build that team. Like what's the first hire look like and, and how have you evolved in your thinking about building that team? Yeah, my first hire is kind of funny. It was, um, you know, I'm, I'm everything, right? When you're an entrepreneur starting a business, your sales, your tech support, your packaging, your shipping, your product, you're, you're the everything. Right. And I just didn't have enough hours in the day because what happened was is I was starting to take orders, but I have to go process the orders. Then I didn't have time to go sell. So how do you start doing that to keep growing your company? I needed help. So uh, one of the first hires we got was actually a referral from my wife. She went to a book club in her neighborhood and started talking to the other moms that were there. And one of them's like, oh, you know, my, my Riley needs a job. He was just out of high school. He was working at a pizza place, making pizzas and subs. Um, really kind of not sure where his life was going to go. Was doing a community college and he came to work for me. And I can tell you now he's our second in command here at Diesel Laptops at the age of 25. Uh so he's one of those people that came in, they had an opportunity, and they completely blossomed and turned into being a great employee. He understands more about our business than anybody else here in this company. So it started with that, then hiring salespeople and then production people. And we just kind of kept trying to fill the roles as we could go. Um, and of course, you learn a lot of lessons as you go through that process of hiring people and growing a business and doing those things, which is all excitement in its own. But that's where it started was my wife at a book club talking to other mothers in the, in the book club. So you mentioned that you learned a lot of lessons along the way. Why don't you share some of those? Yeah, I mean, a lot of bad things, right? So I've never been good at HR. I've hired people when I worked for somebody else before. And I always had the mentality, look, I'm going to sit down with you for 30 minutes. What am I really going to learn about this person? You can get the, maybe a little bit of their personality. When you hire someone, it's hard. You don't know what they're going to be like for 30, 60, 90 days once you even get them in there. So I was really bad, made bad decisions. I pretty much hired the first person that walked through the door for any for any role that we had going on. And, you know, when you do that, we weren't doing background checks. We weren't doing drug testing. We weren't doing all those things. So in hindsight, I mean, we had drug paraphernalia found at work, after, you know, after hours. Huh. We had a locker room talk situation going on in our sales group, which was at the time a bunch of young 20-year-old dudes that just came out of college. Uh, we had that problem. I had an employee that ended up stealing from us, stole, stole a lot of money from us by forging signatures. She later ended up getting arrested and, and that whole thing. Um, it, you just kind of go down the line and I've learned a lot of expensive lessons. And thankfully we, we finally brought in a VP of HR, a senior VP of HR who came out of Amazon and Kia and some of these other companies and has, has really fixed things here. But in hindsight, I wouldn't change it because we focus on sales and marketing and we said, we'll deal with other things later. And we were willing to take that risk and we knew what that would mean in the long term. Um, so we paid some prices. We learned some lessons and I'm glad we learned them when we were young and not when we were bigger. Yeah, for sure. So again, in the spirit of sharing um, some of your experiences with those budding entrepreneurs who are listening and watching in the audience right now, what would be your best counsel for them as they're contemplating building out their team from the lessons that you've learned? Yeah, you need to find the right people. I was really fortunate when I started Diesel Laptops. Beyond Riley, the next couple hires I had were people I worked with at my previous employer shoulder to shoulder. So I worked with them for years. I knew exactly what I was getting. I knew what their skill sets were. I knew what they could do. And that was much, much easier to bring people in that way. Uh, 
And a lot of those core people, those original 10 or so that we had are still with our company today. They're involved. They feel this is part of them. And, you know, hopefully we've rewarded them appropriately as we've grown as a company, but you got to find competent people that you can trust. And the hardest thing to do as a business owner is give up control. <laughs> That's been one of the biggest things. I'm still learning that lesson, even at our level. You've got to trust these people you're paying a lot of money to, to go execute and do their job. And that's really, really difficult for any business owner to go through. But you have to do it if you want to grow your company. Yeah, that, that's great advice. I, I hear that so many times from entrepreneurs. Tyler, we've got about f just a few minutes to go in this segment. I wanted to ask you to let the audience know, how can they contact you if they want to learn more about you, get some more advice, or even work with you? So the best place to find me is absolutely the best business-to-business -business networking platform ever built. I love it, which is LinkedIn. I'm on there actively, regularly. You search for Tyler Robertson or Tyler Diesel, I'll, I'll pop right up. Uh, so I, I'm actively on there and I've been sharing our journey forever on there. And our company is diesellaptops.com. So you can learn more about our company, our niche, our industry on that website as well. That's great. We have about three minutes to go in this segment, but I want to continue the conversation on your entrepreneurial journey and, and the growth of the business. So at, at some point, as you've grown from this garage-based business, you start to get the entrepreneurial mindset. Now you've got a real business. Um, you mentioned something when we were doing our prep call about the, when you stopped shooting from the hip and, and started using data to actually make decisions. Talk a little bit about that, would you? Yeah, so shooting from the hip is that entrepreneurial instinct I think a lot of us have. And it it got us pretty far. I mean, it got us to a certain revenue threshold. And I've always wondered this beforehand. Why do some companies get stuck at a certain level of revenue or a certain number of locations? And other companies grow huge, right? Like look at pizza pizza people that make sell pizza. Why does one guy have one store and the next one has 10,000 stores? What's really the difference there? They all started small. And really what it came down to was the fact that we didn't know how to be a professionally managed company. I was controlling too much. I was trying to do too many things. A lot of the managers and leaders we had, they've never been leaders and managers before. They some of them never had employees. So how can I expect mm -hmm. them to go execute and do the things they need to do if I don't give them the tools and training that they need? So I really viewed it as my failure to put the right things in place. And thankfully, we had another vice president who came on at the time. And he was like, we, we have to do this if we want to keep growing. And he was 100% right. We brought in a consulting company and we started to really look at ourselves and figure out the, the leaders we have. Can they grow and be what we need to be to make it to that next level? You can never get your company to the next level unless you have the right tools and resources inside your company. And we realized the employees, the human side of it was the critical one. So we brought in a company and I can tell you when we brought the leaders in there, some, some things happened. Some of them, they tapped out and they just said, hey, this isn't for me. I, I got you here, but I can't do this next step. You have another role for me in the company. And yeah, we found new roles for those people. And then we had some that wanted to do it, but they weren't learning and they weren't growing and they couldn't do it. And we had to tap them out and either, you know, unfortunately, in some cases terminate, but other cases, we found other roles for them inside the company. So it's been an amazing transformation. And I can tell you going through that, it's definitely allowed us and set the foundation so we can continue to rock it to where we want to get to as an organization and we're getting there. Yeah, I think that's a good spot for us to take a commercial break rather than continue and go down a rabbit hole. So we're going to pause here, Tyler, don't go anywhere. We're going to pay a few bills for you watching and listening. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. I feel bad for kicking your seat on purpose. I'm sorry for mansplaining. That's when a man- I know what it is. 
We should have just told you it's a boy. <coughs> I wish you didn't have to hear all that. Sorry I called you Karen. That's my name. Sorry your name is Karen. I promise I will not eat any more of your friends. Really? Okay, it might happen one more time. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. Today we're talking with Tyler Robertson, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Diesel Laptops. And Tyler, thanks for some great conversation in that first segment about your entrepreneurial journey. I uh, want to continue the conversation with you by, by talking about um, the customer support concept. Again, starting from your garage, becoming a real business. At some point, you've got to realize the focus on the customer, building, retaining, uh, and scaling that relationship. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so my mentality is definitely, let's just take care of the customer, right? So I want our team to treat every customer as if they're very, very important. I don't care about a $10 cable or a $10,000 professional tool. We need to take care of them. And it's not just about that sale. It's about the next sale and the sale after and the products and services they're going to need for us. And I know I need to have a great reputation and brand recognition in our marketplace. So I know that's my mentality. The unfortunate reality of what happened to our company is as we were growing, what you start to realize is not all departments in your company grow at the same rate. So those sales and marketing were just, just going crazy. We couldn't keep up. My technical support department wasn't. So there was at one point where we finally looked at it and we found out 90% of the phone calls coming into our technical support department went into voicemail, which isn't good. If you as a user have ever called in somewhere and got voicemail and you needed help, it's the most infuriating thing. So we quickly were like, man, we got to go fix this because we're just upsetting the current customers we have and building a bad brand name recognition for us. So that was one thing that we went through and realized. So it was painful, but we got through it and we're a better company for it. And the other one is, is we established a customer support division. So we really wanted to make sure customers were happy with our products. We offer returns and 30-day money-back guarantees and all these things. But let's not be reactive. Let's be proactive. So let's call customers on day seven and day 14. Let's make sure they're happy with what they have and take care of any issues they have to eliminate those potential problems and user adoption and all those things. And I can tell you, even now, that's still evolving. Our team looked at it this year and said, hey, we're doing this thing with new customers. I think we can do better at it. Let's call it you know, hypercare or something along those lines. And let's really be engaged with these users and make sure they have a great experience. If we treat them great in the first 30 days and give them more support than they're expecting, we know they're going to be with us for a long time after that because it's something nobody else is doing. So it's all about just trying to keep that retention and realizing a customer doesn't buy one product, they have a lifetime value to your organization. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about the concept that we talked about before the break when we were talking about how some of your team members had to be tapped out because they weren't in the right seat or weren't set for that right role. So in the big picture of the organization, you've got a vision statement, your why for the company, right? And your customers are buying into your why, and you've got to get your, your team to buy into your why. What have been your biggest challenges and successes around aligning those two things where you've got the, the, the why for the customers and your team? How do you get the buy-in on that vision? Yeah, it's really hard. And my personal why is another one, right? That's always changed. It, at first, my personal why was, I just want to provide for my family. Then it was, can I build a business, now successful business? And can I, can I now change an industry? So it's really hard to align the executive vision with your entire organization. So we do a lot of things here at Diesel Laptops. Every month, 
we send out a video to every single employee that explains what we've done in the previous month, where we're going the next month, and we keep talking and reiterating the vision. We just did our 2022 strategic planning. So we had all the department managers had to do their own plan and we had made them go on camera and explain their vision and their plan to everybody and make sure we're all in alignment. And we do a lot of other things, I guess, along that vein to keep putting that in front of customers. And we keep trying to talk about the why a lot. And you're right, we do have three-year strategic goals and we make sure everyone's very, very clear on what those goals are and what we're trying to accomplish as a company. But again, those are all things that have really changed the last couple of years as we've realized we got to be more professionally managed. When we were that entrepreneur company, they definitely weren't getting it. They didn't understand. We got new employees and we're zigging and zagging. It's, it's tough to get through those things. But it all goes back to you have to work on your business, not in your business, in order to move it forward. And that's, I think, where a lot of business owners also get stuck is just in the day-to-day grind. Yeah, working on the business, not in the business. Well said. I've heard that many, many times. It's, it's also, again, sage advice um, and probably uh, worth putting on a bumper sticker or a T-shirt for sure. So, so here you are. You're on this great growth trajectory. Um, you've become a real business. You're building this wonderful team. Then COVID hits. What happened to your, your company uh, when the pandemic hit and the world started to so, shut down? Believe it or not, we were ready for it. And the reason we were ready for it is because the three countries that we import a lot of our products from were the first three countries that hit it in the news. China, Italy, and Spain. Mm-hmm. That, that's the majority of where our product comes from. So we saw it coming. And we actually had all of our managers had a, they had a, they had a, a plan to say, hey, when we lock down, not if, when we lock down, how are we going to deal with this? So we got ahead of it a couple of weeks before most companies. And when we did lock down within a couple hours, the, the building was empty and people were at home working and we, we didn't skip a beat. So, you know, then it kind of goes into how do you transgress past that? And we did a couple things. So one of the things we did is I have elementary age kids. Nobody knew what school was going to happen to and when the next year started. So I took one of our rooms and we completely renovated and we made it into what we call diesel academy and we hired an elementary school teacher and an assistant and we told our employees if you have elementary age kids you can come here uh, bring your kids for free and this teacher in our building will work with your child through the curriculum that they're being assigned this year for the distant learning so we were able to do that and we did things for customers we when the lockdowns happened we all knew freight needed to get from point a to b grocery stores are running dry people are buying out toilet paper as we all remember and we just went out to the market and all of our customers and said look Here's some free software. We're going to make all of our repair information free, whether you're a customer or not. Trucks need to keep moving down the road. And we also had to pivot as a sales company. People all of a sudden weren't interested in buying $10,000 diagnostic tools when we all thought the world was ending and we'd be locked down and we'd go into this huge recession. So we had to pivot on how we sold things and what we sold and what we talked about. So there was a lot of things going on at the same time. Uh, And we also had another big one is our employees put a task force together to reduce expenses. And we were really clear to our employees on a daily basis, how much we need to sell to break even to keep surviving this thing. So I think everyone in the company really appreciated how forward we were with it, where we were going and what we were trying to accomplish. So I I think we handled it as well as we could. And, you know, I think a lot of employees appreciate it and our customers at the end of the day. Yeah, I've had some guests on the program as we talk about how COVID has impacted their business. And a lot of times, of course, you hear about the being unprepared for it and the negative ramifications. But a number of them have also talked about something that they referred to as what I'll call COVID blessings, you know, the upside things where they've learned uh, the positive things they've seen in, in their business and their people. And what you just described there uh, sounds like exactly one of those things where they rally together for you know, collaboration in, in a cohesive way. Um, and that's got to speak to your culture. Why don't you talk a little bit about what 
what the culture means to you and, and what your advice would be for entrepreneurs who want to get a team that really is bought in and will, will support you in the downtimes. Yeah. So, I mean, culture, you can print it on signs and put it on your internet and do whatever with it. But it, what it really starts with is how the leadership acts. So you, you have to get that right. And you have to make sure they all understand employees are expected to act the same way. So we've had situations where we've had some really great employees that have been in departments that aren't here anymore because they just, they weren't part of the culture. And sometimes it's really hard. I've worked at companies before where they have the, the salespeople are treated a different way than the rest of the organization. Um, and the culture is detrimental to the company, but they keep in there because they sell a lot. And that's the exact opposite of what we do here. Everyone's got to be rolling the boat the same way. If they don't do that, you're never going to keep moving forward as a company. You're never going to keep growing and succeeding and winning. You have to get that part figured out. And it starts at the top. It's, it's how you look. It's how you say things. I got to be careful nowadays. I can't walk around and ask questions to people because all of a sudden they'll go think it's an important thing to do and spend two weeks doing it. But I'm just trying to find the question, trying to ask questions on things. So you got to be careful and you have to keep changing as your company grows. I have to treat employees differently today versus when I did when I was hiring my first employee. I tell you what, I still bring every employee in in this company. They either have a Zoom meeting with me or they sit in my office for 30 minutes. And we just talk about who they are, who I am, why we do the things we do, and, and try to get that across nice, clear, and early to everybody inside the organization. Yeah, so I, I think you hit it on the head. It all starts at the top, and it really matters how leadership acts and, and interacts with the team. Uh, what was the biggest aha moment for you, Tyler, in terms of a shift you had to make uh, in terms of interacting with people? Yeah. So the, the one is really the unintentional chaos that I caused. That's been, that's been the big one. It happened, uh, I remember probably six months ago, I, again, I try to walk around and say hi to everyone. And I, you know, I asked a question to somebody on something and, you know, I get a call from a senior VP like two weeks later. He's like, Hey, why is so-and-so working on this thing? They said, you told them to. And I'm like, no, I just was curious about something. So I asked the question and I didn't realize how much my questions or not even sometimes even me not questioning things has an impact on employees and what they think is important and what they don't think is important. So I've had to be very, very clear when I ask questions and make sure I go through the right chain of command. I used to kind of sidestep managers and go directly to employees and like, nope, I got to go the right way. Otherwise it puts the wrong thing in front of people. So it, it's those things that have to change as you grow. And, and part of it's not good. And that sucks. I can't go talk to employees on one-on-one like that, but there's also positives because now I'm not causing that chaos and people are wasting time with unplanned work and these other things that we don't want to happen. So you have to keep adapting and changing as your company grows and changes. Yeah, you had to really evolve from you know the the friend of the people that you've hired into truly you know the CEO of an organization. It, and it's tough. A lot of the people that I first hired, I'm, I'm friends with. I mean, it's actually amazing how many of my employees want to friend me on Facebook and, and share their lives with me. Uh, but it, it's great to be able to have that and that, that they trust me enough to even want to do that. I, I'm pretty sure I was not friending my CEO when I worked at another company before. So it's uh, definitely a different thing. But at the end of the day, I'm a pretty transparent, open person. I want people to know who I am and what I do and, and what I believe in. Yeah, and that's how you were able to obviously get that collaboration when you needed it the most. So good stuff there. Uh, Tyler, how can folks reach out to you? And you mentioned, I think you mentioned that you have a podcast. I know you have a podcast. Uh, so why don't you tell Thanks. folks how they can connect with you and tell them about your podcast and how they can get a hold of that. Yeah, yeah. So my podcast is called The DL, so DL, Diesel Laptops. 
and it's really an industry podcast. So I can say podcasting is probably the most difficult medium to go grow an audience. It, it's definitely tough out there. It's hard to engage with them. Uh, but if you go on our website, you'll you'll see it in the learn section. It's all about our industry. I try to also bring in some business leaders. I've had some authors on there. I got my next season coming up. I have the gentleman that's in charge of the Port of LA on there. I got some best-selling authors and, and all kinds of stuff coming on there. So it's part leadership, part industry stuff. Uh, so that's a great place to go. And again, LinkedIn's a great place to connect. I, I love sharing stories on there. If you want to see the behind the scenes on how we do things and why we do things, we are definitely on there, but our company is also on all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you'd find us, YouTube. Yep. Thank you for that. We have about five minutes to go uh, in the program, Tyler, and I want to talk to you about risk-taking. You know, I, pretty much every day for a business owner, there's got to be some risks that are, that are being taken. You've certainly taken them along the way. What are some of the, the, the biggest risks that you've undertaken and how they worked out? Yeah, so I'll say this too before I, I give some examples. When I first started this, I just assumed as your company got bigger, the risk would become less. And I can say I was totally wrong. The risks become bigger. They impact people's lives. They have a lot more commas and zeros on the end of them. And you really got to think through things and understand is it the best thing for the company. You can't do all things at once. So we have, here's an example. We have a platform where we've probably spent $4 million now developing content and software development work on this platform. And we made it an absolutely free platform. And it totally disrupts the model of existing competitors in there. They have a similar platform, but they charge a pretty substantial fee. And everyone's like, well, why did you do that? If it's free, how do you make money? And it's like, well, there's a bigger game to be had. Let's go create this platform to give people access to information. But then let's prop up an e-commerce platform behind it to help those people. that We're solving their problem and giving them the ability to buy. I think it can be a bigger thing than what our competitors have. So even today, you know, we, we spent over $2.5 million on that platform last year. It's still free, and it's still probably going to be free for a long, long time. And that's okay, but we can afford it. We're okay taking those risks. I've actually been very conservative in how I spend money. So we've always been debt adverse. We have no debt. We have empty credit lines. We have cash in the bank. So the great news is when you run your business like that, you can go take some risks, and it doesn't impact your daily life or your company's trajectory. So we manage it really in, in that regard. And other risks have been well worth it. When we first started, we said, hey, we need to go make repair information to, to help people fix vehicles. They buy our tool, they get the repair information for free. Again, we spent several million dollars there, giving it away for free, and it helped us sell more tools. And just last year, we said, hey, let's prop that up as its own thing that anyone can buy. And now it's a product that delivers, this year delivered north of 5 million in revenue for us. So. Sometimes you really got to play the long game. And that's really what we look at when we take a risk is what's the ROI? When are we going to get it? And for me, it's always, always the long game. I don't mind losing out short term, knowing that there's a long term win that's going to be much bigger. So we take a kind of all approaches in that, in that aspect. And I always tell people, don't take a risk. You're not willing to lose it all on, right? If, you're, if you lose it all and it's going to destroy you, don't do it. Go, go figure out something else. So that's kind of my take on the whole risk side of the world. Yeah, I want to ask you something here. Just a couple minutes to go here. I just want to squeeze this in. So how, how do you calibrate the risk assessment, right? Don't, don't take the risk unless you're willing to lose it all is what you just said. But now you've grown. You've got 200 employees. You've got a lot of folks that you're responsible for who are looking to you to make the right decisions. How has your risk assessment evolved over time? 
Yeah. So my, I always tell people my risk meter is starting to get broken a little bit because <laughs> I, I did this whole thing. It wasn't for me to take home a bunch of money and, and pile it into my personal bank account. Really what our why is today Sorry. is to go change an industry. So my why to change an industry, we look at it from a different aspect. I don't have shareholders. I don't have stockholders or board of directors. I got to appease. This is all my decisions. So for us, it's always about the long-term and where we want to go as a company. And can we go change an industry? That's the question. That's our burning question the executive team has. And we think we can, and we think we can make a lot of money doing it. So we'll keep going there. But to clarify that point is, you know, don't take a risk. If you, if you don't take a risk and if you lose, it destroys your momentum or destroys what you're doing as a company, you've got to stay away from it. I've seen too many people do that. Find another way, another path to go down. Yeah, and is it all on you when you're contemplating those individual risk assessments or have you brought in your team and, and made it more of a collaborative kind of a dialogue, Tyler? So two years ago, it was just me. All right, I got my wife. I, I bounced things off her. But today, now I have a senior leadership team. I have my wife. You know, it's much easier to get more input on things. I can say that the, the, that's the good news. The bad news is it takes slower. You got to talk through things and work through people and you can't move as fast. So it's also walking that line between being agile enough as your company grows, not just on the risk side, but business decision wise, and then speed. You want to keep up the momentum that you have going on. Yep. Tyler, I, uh, unfortunately, we're, we're out of time here, but I want to thank you so much for joining us and sharing your story and, and sharing your wisdom with our audience. Thanks for being on Behind the Numbers. No problem. Thank you for the invite. It was an absolute pleasure and honor. Yeah, it was our pleasure. And for you watching and listening at home, thank you so much for joining us. Can't do it without you. Uh, wherever you're watching or listening, please hit the subscribe button so that you'll stay in contact with us. And if you'd like to have a conversation with me, I'm always available. You can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And until we meet again next time, you guys take care, stay well. We'll see you on Behind the Numbers. Bye now.